0: disaster recovery experts' prognosis of the path back to normality, how cyber attacks are shifting to the home office worker, and some valuable lessons from recent reports on the 2017 Equifax breach. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. There's no hyperbole in stating that the COVID-19 pandemic is like nothing we've ever seen before. And for folks in the realm of disaster planning, the magnitude and sustained nature of this specific disaster is causing some re-evaluation of traditional models of planning, awareness, activation and response. One of the more unsettling things relating to the pandemic is not being able to comprehend what the end of it will look like, and the nature of work and life in this post-coronavirus landscape. This week... Tom Field, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, once again spoke with renowned disaster management expert, Regina Phelps, about where we are today and what the off-ramp from the pandemic will look like for businesses. Here's an excerpt of that interview.
1: Now, really, what we are is we're in what we're calling the re-evaluation phase. And let me explain that with a little bit of detail. Always when you have an activation, you're always continually doing reevaluation. Yes. But this is very, very different. And I'll tell you on all the calls I sit on with my clients, I see this over and over and over again. So let me give you an example. Let's say that there's 100 mission critical activities in your business that you must do on a regular basis, daily basis, let's say. I will tell you now that people are looking at that list of 100 and now it's maybe down to 75 and maybe next week it might go to 50. And maybe the week after that, it could go to 30. What's happening is that we are digging so deep in this reevaluation, we are down in some cases to the barest of barest of barest things we have to do in order to keep the the animal living, so to speak, and that's the business. And so there's this reevaluation that's occurring at the very tactical level, the tactical crisis management team in our client population. But then also on the strategic side of the house, which are the executives, they're also reevaluating What's going on in their business? What's happening? Where are they going? Uh, Are there things that they should start thinking about stopping doing? Are there things that they want to expand into? Are there deals now that they need to get out of? I mean, all of that reevaluation is happening. And that's really happening now because we're still kind of physically active in this space, if you will. Then I think what's going to happen, and this is, uh, will probably happen in New York probably next week and probably in the, mid, and in the um, West, it'll happen in another couple of weeks, is what I call two things, cocooning. What does that mean? We will have cut down all of those mission-critical activities to the barest bone, and then we're going to kind of wrap them up, if you will, and just keep everything running to the best of our ability. So it's really like almost like a medically induced coma if you want to get sort of a visual with that. We are just cocooning. We're keeping things. We're not doing anything different. We're just keeping things alive. At the same time, there needs to be simultaneously two efforts on reentry. One is on the tactical side. I would hope you in your crisis management team you have spun off a group of people who can then figure out how do we reenter the business once the situation becomes more stable and the disease is less present. That's not just automatically going back to work. It's going to be, how do you unfold it? So that's a whole tactical response that needs to be considered. Because we're still going to have disease. We're still going to be infectious. If we go out too quickly, we're going to have another spike. So that has to be really considered. But then simultaneously, I think, the executives are also going to be thinking about reentry. What does that mean? Are we gonna maybe do mergers and acquisitions because now it's a great buying opportunity? Are we gonna be selling off things? Are we gonna be looking at real estate deals to get into or out of? All of those big strategic issues that executives are gonna be really putting some energy behind and that's gonna be happening in this what I call cocoon and reentry planning phase. That's probably gonna start happening in the next week or so from those people on the east and it's gonna be a little bit later for those people in the west and the midwest. Then, once we've actually in a place where the disease has started to really come down, we're coming down the first wave, then we're going to figure out and start moving into reentry. But as I mentioned, that's not going to be like turning on the switch and we all go back. It's going to be some sort of staged reentry that hopefully you were planning during that cocooning phase. And that will go on probably a month, six weeks. We're not just going to all of a sudden go back, it's going to be staged. And then my last stage that I think is going to happen is what I call reinvention. We've been, we will have been working in very different ways. No more traveling, for example, and all of a sudden people are working from home. That's going to maybe cause people to look at how could we do things differently going forward? Do we just go back to what we've always done or do we do things differently? So, for example, will there still be lots of conferences that people would go to? Probably not so much over the next 18 months in particular, because the disease is going to likely come back in the fall. Uh, what about the idea related to working from home? Are you going to bring everybody back? Or are we going to do some sort of hybrid? Or maybe people will work from home all the time. So I think there's a big reinvention that's going to happen that uh, will be very unique to this experience. And I think we're going to be at the end of this 18-month period probably very different than we were before we started uh, in December of 2019.
2: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG
0: Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The rapid transition to a work-from-home culture for many organizations is still very much underway, with significant teething troubles still being sorted out. This period of flux presents criminals with a gold rush for scams, deception and fraud. Here, Andy Bates of the Global Cyber Alliance details some of his observations based on intel gathered from members of his organisation. Here he is.
3: Yeah, I mean, certainly it's, it's so disappointing to see that we had, uh, you know, not-for-profit uh, associate, I would say, in Madrid who found 20,000 Uh, domains related to the COVID virus uh, scam. And they turned out to be just a subset of then a a further 60,000 that were discovered. So there has been a change of landscape. I mean, you know, the criminal fraternity, it never amazes me to think what what they do to seize on opportunities, whether technological or or in this case, global pandemic. So that has shifted the landscape a, a little bit. I mean, I think the attack vectors are pretty similar though. There's phishing, there's websites. So, you know, if you look at criminology and you look at cyber, the methods of either deception or coercion, they apply across cyber as they do across conventional crime. So, um, so I think that there are new sites and new keywords that people are using. You've seen it on the news where people are selling alleged COVID virus cures for many thousands of pounds and, and people are being you know, sucker punched into that. Um, I think there's, a, there's an element of good news, which is, you know, people we talk to about sharing intelligence. And, you know, I'm a big fan about collaboration and sharing. I've found people in the past two weeks who have just been really leaning forward into doing that kind of thing. In fact, you know, with the Work For Home campaign, to see 10 people, 10 similar not-for-profits, just within 48 hours get involved in a project, people don't normally move that quickly. Is that because they're not on planes, not in coffee shops, maybe, but is that because, you know, the good folks have just decided to rally together, then then I think so. So um, so yeah, I think in terms of change in landscape, I, I think we've seen it a little bit. Um. The thing also that worries me is that so many other organisations are effectively DDoSing themselves by trying to do the good thing, which which is rightful, but we should do that quickly and then remember that there are still normal businesses to run in the cyber business. If we stop focusing on the core cyber challenges, then the bad guys are just going to get a leap ahead of us and, and we may be distracted by the virus. So um so yeah, I think it's important to to do the right thing, but in moderation to the to the core business objectives.
0: It may be hard to believe that there is any cybersecurity news not relating to COVID-19, but there was a time, not so long ago, when massive data breaches roamed the Earth. The brontosaurus of these was arguably the 2017 Equifax breach that exposed the PII of over 145 million Americans. Three years on, we're still learning lessons from the prolonged post-mortem of this event. Here's ISMG's executive editor Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz,
4: with some very recent findings. What went wrong at credit reporting giant Equifax in 2017, leading to hackers successfully stealing personally identifiable information for 145 million Americans? The answer to that question has filled multiple reports, including from the GAO, two House and Senate committees, Britain's privacy watchdog, and most recently, an unsealed U.S. Justice Department indictment that charges four Chinese military officers with the hack attack. Security researcher Adrian Sinabria says these reports are a goldmine for all cybersecurity professionals.
2: I wish we got this level of detail more often. It really helps to solidify some of the best practices and recommendations that we give. And clearly we can see that the industry is too focused on fixing problems with tools and not focused enough on leadership and on the people and processes part, parts of things.
4: For anyone who needs an Equifax data breach recap, one of the vulnerabilities available to hackers included an unpatched version of Apache struts, which contained a critical flaw. That's how attackers got in. And the kicker is that Equifax had tried to find and patch every version of struts being used. When the breach became public, however, Snobria says Acrofax was getting a lot of flack, including having been accused of being lazy or failing to be serious enough about patching. But he says that wasn't actually the case.
2: In fact, if you read the documents, they were really sweating this out. You know, when that uh, stress vulnerability came out, they were aware of it. They had some big meetings. They said, hey, this is a big deal. Let's figure out if we've got struts and if the versions we have running are vulnerable. And they looked for it and they looked for it and they searched many different ways using many different tools. And it was there and it was vulnerable, but they failed to find it. And part of the reason for that is the security team didn't really understand struts. They didn't understand the right ways to look for it. And they didn't have any documentation of their own systems that they could search through and find struts that way. You know, so there's no bill of materials, no software bill of materials for their own products, for their own applications. And what, what actually had struts in it and got hacked was an older legacy system. All the people that knew how it worked had left, sounds like from the report, and, uh, and nobody knew where, where struts was there. So at one point, they actually run a tool to look for struts. And their one directory below where struts is sitting and they don't use the recursive flag on the tool so it misses it. You know, they're only, they're only scanning the current directory and not the, the deeper directories uh, from that one.
4: Aquifax's fate and the causes of its mega breach are now well known. Any CISOs who want to avoid a similar fate at their firm would be wise to do a close study of the Aquifax breach reports that have come out to ensure they're not making the same mistakes. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz.
0: That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.